Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Wednesday, October 16th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, the big themes of last night's debate, the split on Medicare for All, the split on foreign policy, and the Biden versus Sanders versus Warren moment. Here's what you missed last night from the DNC debate. Last night in Ohio, 12 Democratic candidates for president met on a single stage to debate a variety of topics. What emerged were some clear themes. The big discussion topics, as set by the moderators, were impeachment, health care, foreign policy, tax policy, opioids, reproductive rights, court packing, automation, jobs, gun control, and unusual friendships. Not kidding, that last one really was the stand-in for the closing statements. There's also some important context heading into the debate about where the candidates stand in the polls. As we've discussed on this show, we now have essentially co-frontrunners in the polls, with Warren rising to join Biden. At the same time, the debate field is winnowing. For the most part, you have three candidates polling in the double digits, and then you have everybody else. So if you fall into that everybody else category, you've got to head into this debate thinking about how you can possibly move the conversation in a way that helps you. And that's a lot of what drove the lower polling candidates to tackle issues the way they did. On Monday this week, I talked about the comparative reality of debate participants and the theory of Bugs Bunny versus Elmer Fudd. Now, throughout last night, to be honest, I didn't see many Bugs Bunnies on that stage. Instead, we had a lot of people stomping around and battling, more like Elmer Fudd. And there's still certainly value in that. Conflict is obviously the key element in any debate. But if I had to give a one-word summary of last night's debate, it would be exhausting. Now, why? Well, it's because of the intensifying clash between candidates who are more moderate and those who lean farther left. That divide also happens to show up sharply in the overall polling. Of the top three polling candidates, two of them, Sanders and Warren, lean pretty far left. One, Biden, is close to the center. So the other, more moderate candidates have a real incentive to try to take Biden's place and to go after both Sanders and Warren based on their ideology. In particular, Mayor Pete Buttigieg came out swinging, pushing a clear moderate message throughout the night. So did Senator Amy Klobuchar. So did former Vice President Joe Biden, for that matter. But the dynamic in last night's debate really flipped from what we've seen in the previous ones. Last night, when the candidates weren't going after Trump, they were mostly going after Warren. In previous debates, Biden has been the main target. But for most of last night, he was able to hang back and let other people squabble in front of him. Now, he did get into the mix, and we'll deal with that later in the show, but for the first time, this wasn't everybody versus Biden. To demonstrate these differences and get at the core themes of the night, I'm going to cover a handful of notable exchanges. Let's roll right into the first one. Just 20 minutes into the debate, a notable exchange happened, and it set the tone for the night. Now, I am tempted just to play you a 10-minute clip of the debate because almost all of it encapsulates something about what happened over the three-hour thing. But I'm going to cut it up into pieces so we can talk about each segment and how the argument developed and what it all meant. First up, the question and the initial answer by Warren. The question is asked here by moderator Mark Lacey. Listen in. Senator Warren, we've proposed, you've proposed some sweeping plans, free public college, free universal child care, eliminating most Americans' college debt, and you've said how you're going to pay for those plans, but you have not specified how you're going to pay for the most expensive plan, Medicare for All. 
Will you raise taxes on the middle class for pay, to pay for it, yes or no? So I have made clear what my principles are here, and that is costs will go up for the wealthy and for big corporations and for hardworking middle class families, costs will go down. Uh, you know, the way I see this is I have been out all around this country. I've done 140 town halls now, been to 27 states in Puerto Rico. Should have done 70,000 selfies, which must be the new measure of democracy. And this gives people a chance to come up and talk to me directly. So I've talked with the family, the mom and dad whose daughter's been diagnosed with cancer. I have talked to the young woman whose mother has just been diagnosed with diabetes. I've talked to the young man who has MS. And here's the thing about all of them, they all had great health insurance right at the beginning. But then they found out when they really needed it, when the costs went up, that the insurance company pulled the rug out from underneath them and they were left with nothing. Look, the way I see this, it is hard enough to get a diagnosis that your child has cancer, to think about the changes in your family if your mom's got diabetes, or what it means for your life going forward if you've been diagnosed with MS. But what you shouldn't have to worry about is how you're going to pay for your health care after that. Senator Warren, to be clear, Senator Sanders acknowledges he's going to raise taxes on the middle class to pay for Medicare for all. You've endorsed his plan. Should you acknowledge it too? So the way I see this, it is about what kinds of costs middle class families are going to face. So let me be clear on this. Costs will go up for the wealthy. They will go up for big corporations and for middle class families. They will go down. I will not sign a bill into law that does not lower costs for middle class families. Okay, so that's the initial round. The moderator points out, as actually I have on this show quite a bit, that one of Warren's hallmarks is specifying how she will pay for things. Not everything, but most of her plans have a clear section about that. So the moderator asks specifically, will you raise taxes on the middle class to pay for Medicare for all? That's a reasonable and relatively simple question. And Warren's response sticks to an answer about overall cost but it really does fail to answer that yes or no question, and that got people's attention. Even if Warren's point makes sense, it fell flat in this exchange. Okay, so let's pick up and see where this goes next. Mayor Buttigieg, you say Senator Warren has been, quote, evasive about how she's going to pay for Medicare for all. What's your response? Well, we heard it tonight, a yes or no question that didn't get a yes or no answer. Look, this is why people here in the Midwest are so frustrated with Washington in general and Capitol Hill in particular. Your signature, Senator, is to have a plan for everything, except this. No plan has been laid out to explain how a multi-trillion dollar hole in this Medicare for All plan that Senator Warren is putting forward is supposed to get filled in. And the thing is, we really can deliver health care for every American and move forward with the boldest, biggest transformation since the inception of Medicare itself. But the way to do it without a giant multi-trillion dollar hole and without uh, having to avoid a yes or no question is Medicare for all who want it. We take a version of Medicare, we let you access it if you want to, and if you prefer to stay on your private plan, you can do that too. That is what most Americans want. Medicare for all who want it, trusting you to make the right decision for your health care and for your family, and it can be delivered. Thank you, Mayor. Without an increase Senator, your response. All right, so that's very clear. There's a three-part argument there. Part one, you're not answering the question. 
Part two, adding a public option to Obamacare is probably easier to get done in this political environment. We'll have a lot more on that later. And part three, Buttigieg argues that most Americans would prefer a public option anyway. That last one is kind of debatable given what polling you're looking at, but still, these are all solid points by Buttigieg. Okay, so where does this go next? Well, listen in. So let's be clear. Whenever someone hears the term Medicare for all who want it, understand what that really means. It's Medicare for all who can afford it. And that's the problem we've got. Medicare for all is the gold standard. It is the way we get health care coverage for every single American, including the family whose child's been diagnosed with cancer, including the person who's just gotten an MS diagnosis. That's how we make sure that everyone gets health care. We can pay for this. I've laid out the basic principles. Costs are going to go up for the wealthy. They're going to go up for big corporations. They will not go up for middle-class families, and I will not sign a bill into law that raises their costs, because costs are what people care about. I've been studying this, you know, for the biggest thank, part of thank my you, life. Thank you, Senator. Why can the, people go can the mayor, mayor respond? Sure. So, again, Warren does not directly address the tax thing. She's doing a great job at maintaining what's called message discipline about costs here, but the question is simple and explicit, and it is not about cost. So this ends up creating a terrific opening for Buttigieg and anybody else who wants to get in on this, because as much as Warren believes that her answer is complete, it doesn't come across that way. So let's check out the next part in which Buttigieg hammers at Medicare for all versus a public option, while again emphasizing the pragmatic reality that a public option is much easier to accomplish. I should also give some context here. When Obamacare first came around, the idea of including a public option within it was so liberal that it was stripped out. So the Buttigieg plan here is what would be considered quite liberal less than a decade ago. Now it's closer to the mainstream, and his argument is really clear about how he sees the practicality of doing his plan versus the biggest, boldest, do-it-all-in-one-move sweep plan over on the Warren side. So let's listen to both the Buttigieg articulation of that, then we'll hear Bernie Sanders answer the original question in his own words. Listen in. I don't think the American people are wrong when they say that what they want is a choice. And the choice of Medicare for all who want it, which is affordable for everyone because we make sure that the subsidies are in place, allows you to get that health care. It's just better than Medicare for all whether you want it or not. And I don't understand why you believe the only way to deliver affordable coverage to everybody is to obliterate private plans, kicking 150 million Americans off of their insurance in four short years when we could achieve that same big, bold goal. And once again, we gotta be president, we're competing to be president for the day after Trump. Our country will be horrifyingly polarized, even more than now, after everything we've been through, after everything we are about to go through, this country will be even more divided. Why unnecessarily divide this country over health care when there's a better thank, way to deliver you, coverage Mayor. for all? Senator Sanders. Like well, as somebody who wrote the damn okay, bill, okay. as I said, <laughs> let's be clear. Under the Medicare for all bill that I wrote, premiums are gone. Copayments are gone. Deductibles are gone. All out-of-pocket expenses are gone. We're going to do better than the Canadians do, and that is what they have managed to do. At the end of the day, the overwhelming majority of people will save money on their health care bills. But I do think it is appropriate to acknowledge 
that taxes will go up. They're going to go up significantly for the wealthy. And for virtually everybody, the tax increase they pay will be substantially less, substantially less than what they were paying for premiums and out-of-pocket expenses. Okay, so we're heading right into the eye of the storm. Buttigieg laid out a pretty good argument, and then Sanders articulated an excellent response that frankly should have been the initial response from Warren. It is almost the same answer Warren gave, but it is phrased in a way that makes way more sense on a debate stage. He's talking about overall cost, but he is talking about it in the context of actually answering that yes or no tax question that has been put forth. So the moderator gives Warren a chance to grab that and run with it. Let's listen to that. Well, Senator, Senator Warren, would, will way. you um, acknowledge what the senator just said about taxes going up? So my view on this and what I have committed to is costs will go down for hardworking middle class families. I will not embrace a plan like Medicare for all who can afford it that will leave behind millions of people who cannot. And I will not embrace a plan that says people have great insurance right up until you get the diagnosis and the insurance company says, sorry, we're not covering your expensive cancer treatments. We're not covering your expensive treatments you, for Senator. MS. We're Senator not covering Klobuchar. what you need. At least Bernie's being honest here and saying how he's going to pay for this and that taxes are going to go up. And I'm sorry, Elizabeth, but you have not said that. And I think we owe it to the American people to tell them where we're going to send the invoice. I believe the best and boldest idea here is to not trash Obamacare, but to do exactly what Barack Obama wanted to do from the beginning, and that's have a public option that would bring down the cost of the premium and expand the number of people covered and take on the pharmaceutical companies. That is what we should be doing uh, instead of kicking 149 million people off their insurance in four years. And I'm tired of hearing, whenever I say these things, oh, it's Republican talking points. You are making Republican talking points right now in this room by coming out for a plan that's going to do that. I think there is a better way that is bold that will cover more people, and it's the one we should get behind. Yeah, so Klobuchar gets in on this and makes a really well-received point. You can hear the audience applaud there. She is offering roughly the same thing Buttigieg is, and she's fitting in this repeating message that comes up throughout the night. And that is basically, hey, don't tell us that moderate positions aren't enough. But Warren is completely sticking with her answer, despite being handed an opportunity by the moderator to say, you know, I'm with Bernie on this one. Warren returns to the overall cost thing. Okay, in the final part of this exchange, which again defines a huge part of what this debate was about, Warren starts to pivot toward her work in creating the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. That, in turn, was based on her work with Americans experiencing bankruptcy, which, no surprise, does come up again later. So listen to this and how Klobuchar works in a zinger combined with her overall moderate policy is acceptable message. Listen in. Senator Warren. No, I didn't spend most of my time in Washington. I spent most of my time studying one basic question, and that is why hardworking people go broke. And one of the principal reasons for that is the cost of health care. And back when I was studying it, Two out of every three families that ended up in bankruptcy after a serious medical problem had health insurance. The problem we've got right now is the overall cost of health care. And look, you can try to spend this any way you want. I've spent my entire life 
on, on working on how America's middle class has been hollowed out and how we fight back. I've put out nearly 50 plans on how we can fight back and how we can rebuild an America that works. And a part of that is we've Thank got you, Senator. to stop Americans Sen from going bankrupt over health care Senator Klobuchar, do you want to respond? Uh, yes, I do. And I appreciate Elizabeth's work. But again, um, the difference between a plan and a pipe dream is something that you can actually get done. And we can get this public option done and we can take on the pharmaceutical companies and bring down the prices. But what really bothers me about this discussion, which we've had so many times, is that we don't talk about the things that I'm hearing about from regular Americans. That is long-term care. We are seeing, I once called it a silver tsunami, the aging, and then someone told me that was too negative, so I call it the silver surge, the aging of the population. We need to make it easier to get long-term care insurance and strengthen Medicaid. In this state, the state of Ohio, that has been hit by the opioid epidemic, we need to take on those pharma companies and make them pay for the addictions that they have caused and the people that they have thank, killed. Thank you, those Senator. Those are the issues thank that you, I Senator. hear about when I'm in well, there you have it. We have the big structural change thing, which Warren favors, versus the politically practical thing that is still much better than what we have today, which is what, at least in the clips we just heard, both Buttigieg and Klobuchar favor. And so does Joe Biden, by the way. Okay, so let's end this segment and come back with another exchange. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Next up, let's talk foreign policy. During a discussion of the war in Syria, the two veterans on stage got into a tussle. Representative Tulsi Gabbard called the situation in Syria a regime change war, which is genuinely a weird way to put it when the issue is more about killing the Kurds, but we'll leave that for the fact checkers. See the show notes on that one, by the way. And then she said she wanted to withdraw support for various military actions in the region. She then asked Warren to join her in this. And Warren gave an answer that was basically, well, yeah, let's get out of the Middle East, but it's complicated. And then this next thing happened. I'm going to play you a solid three-minute clip here. And the reason I'm choosing this one is it highlights the differences between the two actual veterans on an actual military conflict that is going on right now. These debates have so far been really light on foreign policy, so this topic has not gotten much coverage. Listen in. Mayor Buttigieg, like many of your fellow candidates on the stage, you've been calling for an end to endless wars. What's your response on Syria? Well, respectfully, Congresswoman, I think that is dead wrong. 
The slaughter going on in Syria is not a consequence of American presence. It's a consequence of a withdrawal and a betrayal by this president of American allies and American values. Look, I didn't think we should have gone to Iraq in the first place. I think we need to get out of Afghanistan. But it's also the case that a small number of specialized special operations forces and intelligence capabilities were the only thing that stood between that part of Syria and what we're seeing now, which is the beginning of a genocide and the resurgence of ISIS. Meanwhile, soldiers in the field are reporting that for the first time they feel ashamed, ashamed of what their country has done. We saw the spectacle, the horrifying sight of a woman with the lifeless body of her child in her arms asking what the hell happened to American leadership. And when I was deployed, I knew one of the things keeping my, me safe was the fact that the flag on my shoulder represented a country known to keep its word. And our allies knew it and our enemies knew it. Thank that. you, Mayor. You take that away, you are taking away what makes America America. Thank you, Mayor. It makes our troops and the world a much more dangerous place. Congresswoman Gabbard, your response. Yeah, absolutely. So really what you're saying, uh, Mayor Pete, is that you would continue to support having U.S. troops in Syria for an indefinite period of time to continue this regime change war that has caused so many refugees to flee Syria, that you would continue to have our country involved in a war that has undermined our national security. You would continue this policy of the U.S. actually providing arms and support to terrorist groups in Syria, like Al-Qaeda, HTS, Al-Nusra, and others, because they are the ones who have been the ground force in this regime change war. That's really what you're saying. Mayor Pete. No, Richard. you can embrace, or you can put an end to endless war without embracing Donald Will Trump's policy as you're doing. Will you end the regime change doing. war is the question. What we are doing What is an endless in, war if it's not yet another regime change Please. war? Please allow him to respond. What we are doing, or what we were doing in Syria, was keeping our word. Part of what makes it possible for the United States to get people to put their lives on the line to back us up is the idea that we will back them up too. When I was deployed, not just the, the Afghan National Army forces, but the janitors put their lives on the line just by working with U.S. forces. I would have a hard time today looking an Afghan civilian or soldier in the eye after what just happened over there. And it is undermining the honor of our soldiers. You take away the Thank honor you. of our soldiers, you might as well go after their body armor next. This president has betrayed American values. Our credibility is in tattered. I will restore U.S. credibility before Senator, it is finally too late. Senator. That exchange stood out to me, in part because Buttigieg brought such a strong response, but also because this was finally a chance for the Democratic field to talk about foreign policy on stage. At one point in the night, Biden talked about how he had the most foreign policy experience, and that is true. But Buttigieg did an impressive job making the case that he understood the scope of the problem very well and had clear ideas about what he would do about it as president. Okay, the final big moment that helps us understand this debate is a major clash between Biden and Warren with a little Sanders in the middle. For time, I'm just going to omit part of both Biden and Warren's answers and summarize the Sanders stuff. But here is the setup. Moderator Anderson Cooper speaks first. Listen in. Vice President Biden, just on either side of you, Senator Warren is calling for big structural change. Senator Sanders is calling for a political revolution. Will their visions attract the kind of voters that the Democrats need to beat Donald Trump? Well, I think their vision is attracting a lot of people. 
And I think a lot of what they have to say is really important. But, uh, you know, uh, Senator Warren said we can't be running any vague campaigns. We've got to level with people. We've got to level with people and tell them exactly what we're going to do, how we're going to get it done, and if you can get it done. I'm going to say something that is probably going to offend some people here, but I'm the only one in the stage that's gotten anything really big done from the Violence Against Women Act to making sure that we passed the Affordable Care Act, to be in a position where we, in fact, took a, almost a $90 billion act that, that kept us from going into a depression, making us in a, putting us in a position where I was able to end, Roe, excuse me, able to end the issue of gun sales in terms of assault weapons. And so the question is, who is best prepared? We all have good ideas. The question is, how, who's going to be able to get it done? How can you get it done? And I'm not suggesting they can't, but I'm suggesting that that's what we should look at. And part of that requires you not being vague. Tell people what it's going to cost, how you're going to do it, and why you're going to do it. That's the way to get it done. Presidents are supposed to be able to persuade. Just to okay, so Biden's argument here boils down to issues of experience and practicality. Who on this stage has experience and also is Medicare for all actually practical in terms of paying for it? Now, I'm omitting this whole piece in the middle where Biden and Sanders hash out the Medicare for all stuff yet again. And Sanders points out that Biden supported the Iraq war and supported a bankruptcy bill that both he and Warren vehemently opposed. But this next moment is really where things turned. It's worth going and finding a clip of this. This all happened starting around 10.28 p.m. Eastern Time, if you're looking it up in a video. In this, you got to see the three highest polling candidates in a clear disagreement that did not go so well for Biden. Okay, so listen to Warren's response to Biden's claim that he was the only one on stage who had gotten big things done. Senator Warren, your response. So you started this question with how you got something done. You know, following the financial crash of 2008, I had an idea for a consumer agency that would keep giant banks from cheating people. And all of the Washington insiders and strategic geniuses said, don't even try, because you will never get it passed. And sure enough, the big banks fought us, the Republicans fought us, some of the Democrats fought us. But we got that agency passed into law. It is now forced banks to return more than $12 billion directly to people they cheated. I served in the Obama administration. I know what we can do by executive authority, and I will use it. In Congress, on the first day, I will pass my anti-corruption bill, which will beat back the influence of money and repeal the filibuster. And the third, we want to get something done in America. We have to get out there and fight for the things that touch people's lives. I agree with me. I agreed with the great job she did. And I went on the floor and got you votes. I got votes for that bill. I convinced people to vote for it. So let's get those things straight, too. Senator Warren, do you want to respond? I am deeply grateful to President Obama, who fought so hard to make sure that agency was passed into law. And I am deeply grateful to every single person who fought for it and who helped pass it into law. But understand... You did a hell of a job in your job. Thank you. But understand this. It was a dream big, fight hard. People told me, 
Go for something little. Go for something small. Go for something that the big corporations will be able to accept. I said, no, let's go for an agency that will make structural change in our economy. And President Obama said, I will fight for that. And he sometimes had to fight against people in his own administration. We have to be willing to make good, big structural change. And I rest my case. Warren ends on what I think is the theme of the night. She says, yet again, go big. Go for the biggest policy. Don't let talk of practicality get you down. Standing on either side of her are Biden and Buttigieg, both of whom had made strong arguments to the contrary. Both of them, among other more moderate candidates on the stage, were sticking to their guns and saying, hey, we think we can get practical things done that will make a positive difference. So that is the choice that this debate embodied. That is the single thing I would suggest that you take away from this debate. And yes, there were a ton of people who spoke in the debate and I didn't include them in today's show audio, but I think you'll agree this has gone on for long enough. There are links in the show notes to summaries, including a pretty good highlight reel from the New York Times, and more analysis of this debate, including talk time and all that stuff, plus fact-checking. Overall, this was a messy night, and we kind of expected that with 12 people on stage. I hope that this analysis today has helped to boil down some of what happened, and to give you a clear understanding of where some of these candidates stand. Well, that is it for one more episode of The Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. Okay, in the outro, it's a good time, first of all, to thank so many people who played Debate Bingo last night. It was a joy to interact with all of you and to see so many people sharing their cards on Twitter. I really dig that part. Next, I'm holding on to a giant pile of news, including all the money stuff and a big endorsement for Sanders and a pile of other stories. I'm going to try to cram those into the show tomorrow. And reminder, there will be no show on Friday because I will be in the land of Tetris. So expect a kind of grab bag show tomorrow of all the stuff that got pushed out by the debate on the first three days of this week. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow.